0: Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. All right, so um, I love the opportunity to always kind of teach and train. You understand that the Spirit speaks a language, and if we watch closely, we'll get glimpses of what God is doing. So I want to go back to a moment when we were on stage. Sonia uh, was up here. How many of you could tell something was happening with her, right? Okay, so we have to pay attention to those things. The last night we learned about how we are carriers of the kingdom and how our number one job as the priesthood is not to minister to people, but it's to minister to the Lord. And as we minister to the Lord, that we become such a, a carrier of his presence that it no longer becomes about what we're singing, how we're singing, what we're saying. It becomes about what, what, what we're doing, what's happening in us. And so I, want us to, I, I don't want to move without taking an opportunity to teach and to learn from that moment to say we recognize at that moment that Sonia became, for lack of a better term, a little bit of a portal where kingdom and earth were colliding. She became the intersection of the heavens and the earth. If you didn't feel a move in this room, and it wasn't because, no offense, it wasn't because you were singing amazingly, it wasn't even because of the message. It it had nothing to do with the anointing. It had everything to do with just the person. Just standing there completely surrendered, willing to be wrecked, willing to be undone so God could shift things in the atmosphere. It's a perfect example of what we were talking about last night, about who we want to become carriers of that kingdom. Now today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of, um, of healthy relationships. So you've got some notes there. We talked last night about how we're created for connection. Now, connection requires transparency and vulnerability. In order for me to be transparent with my sister Melinda, I need to feel safe with her. I need to have courage. When people share things that are hard for me, we teach our counselors a lot of times to respond to difficult things by saying, I appreciate you sharing that with me. It took a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to share difficult emotions, to have that difficult conversation. But how many of you know a lot of times if somebody comes to you with a difficult conversation, our response or our reaction tends to be reactive instead of recognizing it took a lot of courage for you to come. You loved me enough to come to me. And so connection requires transparency and vulnerability. And the more we grow in our relationship with the Lord, the more safe and the more competent we will become in his what? In his love and in his presence And his perfect love is what casts out all fear. We talked about this last night. And that confidence that I grow in in his love is what gives me the courage to go for it, to be more transparent, to be more vulnerable, and experience those greater connections. Come on, the enemy's got us all twisted. He says, You got to guard yourself, you got to be careful. That person's not safe. And I'm not saying there's not wisdom in some of those things, and we're going to talk about how to discern those things. But if there's an option for me to be careful or for me to take the risk, I'm going to trust the love of the Lord, and I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to love somebody enough and be confident in God's love for me that if it turns out bad or if I get hurt, that God is going to see me through it. Come on, trusting in God's love isn't saying this thing is going to work out this way. Trusting in God's love is saying, even if this thing doesn't work out this way, God is still gonna see me through it. Come on, we, we teach people how to rely on a false hope and saying, we believe, we we believe that, that your daughter's gonna be healed. I have faith for her healing, but my hope isn't in her healing. My hope is in a God who is a healer, who will walk you through anything he wants. And so we we don't want to we don't want to believe in that false hope. So God has created us for connection. And when we learn to hope in God and God alone first, it gives us that courage to be transparent and to be vulnerable. And we live in lives and in relationships that are more satisfying. How many of you, how many of you in here feel like when you're, uh, well, maybe some of you don't, when your spouse does something that kind of gets you, you know? Some of you might be like, ah, I have no problem communicating what I'm thinking, how I'm feeling in the moment. But some of you might have a spouse that's maybe a little reactive. And so you have to think delicately through how you're going to approach your spouse, and it takes a lot of courage. And you have to approach your spouse not expecting to get anything from them, not expecting to change them, but knowing that no matter how this conversation turns out, I am what? Loved. I am loved. It changes the approach. None of that was in my notes, all for free. You're welcome. Uh, So the number one trait of a healthy relationship, number one trait of a healthy relationship is freedom. It is the ability to be who you are without fear. Oh, you don't know, Mrs. Susie. I can't tell her I can't go to lunch. She'll be mad forever. That's fear. That's not a free relationship. How many of you got the pre-conference email where I gave you the little quiz to kind of assess your relationship? How many of you did it? We're about to learn a lot about personalities in the room. Okay. Debbie, of course you did it. So the whole purpose of that was for you to get uh, an understanding, to kind of evaluate, for lack of a better term, what is the health of my relationships? Because when I was writing this book, I really wanted to write the book. The whole second part is falling in love with God, falling in love with you, loving others. But I didn't think people would actually recognize their need for part two, unless there was a part one. where we're really talked about what is a biblical definition of a healthy relationship. Because I fear, you remember in John chapter 9 when Jesus says to the Pharisees, because you claim you can see, you shall remain blind. Because we claim our relationships are as healthy as they could be, or we think they're healthy, they shall remain unhealthy. Because you're unable to see things the way God sees them. So we're talking about even good relationships, allowing God to reveal things in them that will make them even better. I shared a little bit last night about Brad and I's story, and I I said, look, we we didn't have a terrible marriage, but it wasn't excellent. And when we began to war for that, we didn't war with each other. What we did was we warred with each other for God's design, not for what we felt like we deserved what we wanted, what our desires were, but rather we understood the design of God in marriage and we fought for that. So let's go over some of these, these other traits. The number one trait of a healthy relationship is freedom or the ability to be who you are without fear. There is never any threat of being loved, of not being loved or being rejected in the midst of transparency. Transparency meaning I feel free to be completely transparent, to be totally honest with this person, and I don't think they're going to reject me or they're not going to reject That's a healthy relationship. Now, are all of our relationships like that? Of course not. And it's not for you to say, oh, well, this is it. It's just for you to be aware. Look, is this relationship worth pursuing? And do I want to work to actually shift it into greater health? Or is this a relationship that's not worth pursuing? And those are okay as well. There are some relationships that we've been pursuing that God says you need to let go of. And my brother Brian's going to be talking about that a little bit more later on today. I think he is. Whatever the Spirit told him to speak on. So it goes, it goes, it's, uh, then let's, go, let's move on. Jeez. Every party feels free. Also, I remember the word I was trying to think of last. I was laying in bed last night. I was like, what was the word? When I was like, what was It was inspired. The word was inspired. Each party feels free to be completely genuine and honest. This is true of any relationship. Again, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Okay, consider these traits when assess, assessing your relationships. So I sent this out, but I'm going to read through them quickly, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because I want to get to kind of how do we start moving towards redefining current relationships and patterns that have been established. Get the book. I'm not, I can't say that enough, and if you buy the book this weekend, the study guide's free, get the book. Because all of this is listed out, talking about the traits, and you will go back to it. And back. How many people have the book and have read the book? Do you refer to the book? I know, Debbie, you do. I know you use it in the counseling room quite a bit. Yes. So you want to get the book because it's a great reference. It's a great way for you to be reminded of the empowerment that God gives you to enforce healthy relationships in your life. Okay. One, consider these traits when assessing the health of a relationship. One, each party feels freedom, meaning you never feel trapped or stuck in that relationship. Okay, forget abuse. Just think about times when you're like, oh, I feel, I feel trapped working in the nursery. I have an unhealthy relationship with the nursery manager, whoever it is, because I don't feel free to be honest and say, look, I, I just don't feel like this is where I want to be. I don't feel like God is calling me here. And so instead, I'll stick it out and complain about it for the next three months. That's not a healthy relationship. Each party takes responsibility for their own actions. Each party admits their faults, and repentance is normal. Think about your relationships. Think about your closest relationships. How often do you catch yourself saying or catch the other person saying, Hey, I want to apologize for this. I apologize. You heard me last night. I was like, oh my gosh, pastor, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I did not acknowledge the pastor of the house. That's normal. It should be normal. Repentance should be normal. Each party feels treasured and loved. Each party feels treasured and loved. There's open and free communication in the relationship. Transparency and honesty. How many of you guys ever just kind of, I'm just going to tell her that I got something going on? There's no freedom to be honest and say, to be honest with you, I don't feel like it's the time or the season for us to get together. Or being super honest and saying, what's the purpose of us getting together? Can we identify, is, there, is this a season where God is bringing us together for a particular reason? There's a purpose to every relationship, and there's nothing wrong with having that conversation. And what happens is then when the season comes to an end and the relationship begins to separate because God is done with that season, there's no offense there. There's no rejection there because the relationship was never about you to begin with. The relationship was about God and what God is doing in you and through that relationship. Remember Jonathan and Saul? Or Jonathan and David? There was a purpose that God had in that relationship. And it wasn't about David and it wasn't about Jonathan, it was about what God was doing. It was about God's purpose. Mutual care for each party. Now, this can look differently. I, I like to use Liz as an example. If you goes, you'll notice that Liz is not in here because she's always working behind the scenes. Um, but Liz, I, at one point, she is, she is my executive assistant. She is affectionately called my brain, my schedule, my wherewithal, my everything. And um, she, she kind of, she's behind the scenes a lot, Right. And so her service is very active, it's very seen, it's very visible, if you will. And at one point I was like, God, I feel like, I feel like you do more for me than I do for you. Even though it's your job, I feel like. And so she was like, that's totally not true. She said, do you know how many times I've showed up for work and I'm just not having a good day? And you stop what you're doing to pray for me, pray for me or to pray with me. Or you stop what you're doing to just have a conversation with me. To give me space, to give me room, to kind of process things that I'm going through. And so each party cares for each other mutually, but it looks very differently. The way we love each other is very differently. So it can look like you. It doesn't have to look like, you know, your sister Jane. It can look like you. Neither party feels taken advantage of. I won't say anything more about that. Each party has boundaries and no fear in keeping them many of you can, uh, off the top of your head, can name a very clear boundary that you have. Very clear. I'll tell you a clear boundary. If my office door is shut, don't knock on it, don't come in. I don't want to talk to you. That's a clear clear boundary. The only person who can maybe tap on it is Liz, and she knows it better be an emergency. Clear boundary. I'll tell you a clear boundary, 1030, I'm not answering my phone. I'm not responding. I don't care if it's an emergency. I don't care if it's ministry. Come on, we got to set some boundaries. you got to have some clear boundaries in your life, and we're going to be talking about that in the next session as well. So each party has boundaries and no fear in keeping them. The ability to disagree freely. The ability to disagree freely. Yet, you can come to a mutual decision or reconciliation, even in disagreement. That's a healthy relationship. Ooh, we are not good as a culture in disagreement. Not at all. There's no love in disagreement. There's no kindness. There's no room for disagreement. You disagree with me, that's the the cancel culture. I, I can't handle when somebody disagrees, so I just block you. And again, there is a time to block people. There are some people in this room that need to block some people. But when we're blocking people, you understand that a wall is very different than a boundary. A wall is gutless. It is absolutely gutless. A boundary takes courage. And there are times and seasons for walls. If you don't have the courage or you're still healing and you're in the holding pattern of reconciliation in your heart, you might need to put up a wall. But a wall shouldn't be the ending point. We should know that the spirit in me is going to bring me to a place where I can have courage to set boundaries in that relationship. You guys following this okay? We're just doing nuts and bolts, nuts and bolts. You guys are like, what happened to the feel-good stuff? Where's to bring Kenneth back? Um, okay. Freedom to say no. Freedom, some, come on, some of us don't feel free to say no to our kids. We are cowards with our kids. You don't know, understand. I was a terrible mom when they were little, and so I just, I, I just have so much guilt. I just, I just can't tell them no. Yeah, you can. You just won't. Because you're not putting yourself, your identity, the purpose of the kingdom in you before your child, okay? So freedom to say no can give and receive feedback freely. Some of us are really good at giving feedback. Some of us are not so good at receiving feedback, right? Some of us don't feel free to give feedback. And again, there's wisdom and discernment in this. Let's not, let's not make everything dogmatic that I'm saying, okay? We're, we're trying to kind of go through some traits, but well, understand that you have to have wisdom and discernment. If your husband's having a bad day, that's probably not the best timing for feedback. I mean use your wisdom. Come on. Use your discernment. Each party feels free to spend time with others. There's no fear of jealousy. There's no fear or jealousy. Each party feels free to spend time with others. Each party feels successful and celebrated in the relationship. I feel celebrated when I hang out with Liz. I feel celebrated when I hang out with Tammy. I hope when she walks away that she feels celebrated, that she feels special, that she feels like when we've been spent time together, she's the only person sitting in front of me. That's a healthy relationship. Each party is genuinely interested in the needs and meeting the needs of others. Come on, I tell my kids, you, there are two kinds of people in life. There are fountains and there are drains. And if you are in the mood to be a drain, take it to the Lord because ain't nobody cares. Let's be honest, you guys have those drains in your life, and they call, and you're like, oh, God.
1: Oh, God.
0: And your friend's like, don't answer. I have to. Uh-oh, you don't know. Oh, uh, if I don't, oh, uh, I don't, she'll just call again. These are not healthy relationships. Come on, we laugh about it but because it's true, because we all have that in our life. And then we feel stuck. We feel trapped by that person. We get victimized by a person, and poor Susie probably has no idea. And that's not even fair to her or fair to you. All right, so a healthy relationship does not always mean both parties agree, but rather both parties feel free to disagree. They ultimately do not fear being judged or loved any less because they've been honest. You can be honest with me and I can completely disagree with you, but I'm not going to love you any less. In fact, I'm going to be like, I honor your honesty towards me. I have a really good friend... uh, She's in politics, and she calls me her pastor, and we are on opposite sides when it comes to politics. But somehow the Lord has made it work where she calls me for spiritual guidance. She calls me for spiritual encouragement, and we could not potentially disagree any stronger when it comes to politics. But I love her, and she loves me, and I honor her, and she honors me, and she calls me her pastor. God can do that. God can create unity in the middle of disagreements. The enemy wants to take disagreement, make it disunity, because where the house is divided, people will not stand. The house will remain desolate, deserted, and fruitless. Hear me, it's better for you to agree with your spouse in dis- when you disagree than to be in disagreement. So it's better to agree in a wrong thing or a thing that you disagree with. Come on, half the time we disagree just for the sake of disagreeing because we just want to to pick that battle. And we're squelching the power of unity in our own houses. There is a mutual confidence and respect within each party in regard to their own identities. Therefore, they are not afraid of conflict. How many of you guys are afraid of conflict? I mean, I enjoy some healthy tension. I, probably too much. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah Debbie, she enjoys healthy tension as well. Um, but most of us, we, you know, we don't want to poke the bear. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to open that can. We all kinds of metaphors for avoiding conflict. Come on. But a healthy relationship says we're not afraid of conflict. In fact, we embrace conflict because I recognize places where Brad and I conflict, we actually probably complete each other that God uses that to grow me. He uses it to challenge my friend that I spoke of. There's some things that she's brought up in regard to certain presidential candidates that I had not thought about. And she's not necessarily wrong. I don't agree with her, but she's not necessarily wrong, right? And so I allow that to be challenged. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid to have my mind changed. Come on, some of us are afraid somebody's going to have so much influence over me, they're going to change my mind so I can't have the conversation. Some of us need to have our mind changed. I mean, that's all I'm going to say on that. Ultimately, there's an appreciation for each party's differences. All right, so let me go briefly over unhealthy relationships. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about soul ties. Know this, that soul ties, anytime two souls become knit together in spirit, there's a soul tie. And God has actually designed us that we would walk with soul ties in the soul realm, that we would feel a connection emotionally. When I say soul, I'm talking about your thinker, your feeler, your picker. It's what I think, how I feel, what I choose. My mind, my will, my emotion. And God wants, there's a healthy form of a soul tie. So sometimes soul ties get a bad rap. So there is a healthy form of a soul tie. I gave an example with Jonathan David early, but then there's examples of lots of unhealthy soul ties where we become the feeling of another person. We call it empathy. I just feel what they're feeling. Well, don't feel what they're feeling. I don't even want to feel what I'm feeling. I want to feel what the Lord's feeling. I want to know what the Lord is feeling about this thing. I understand there's that times when you get hit with a wave of somebody's emotions. But by golly, if we start to allow it to navigate our days, a navigator, navigate my mood. Well, I was in a good mood until he came home. He's just a grumpy bear. Now I'm going to be a grumpy bear because he's a grumpy bear. That's an example of an unhealthy soul tie and how it can affect you. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of soul ties uh, again because we're going to have that taught this afternoon. But know this, idolat- idolatrous relationships, in short, is when one person worships another. So bad soul ties can form from bad relationships and they can become idolatrous Where we begin to worship that person or that person's feelings, their emotions, their opinions, their thoughts have greater effect on me than the feelings, the emotions, the opinion of the Father. Come on, we got got to be honest with ourselves. When I said last night, when I said I was feeling a little anxious about changing up, that we totally changed up the format last night. I was like, we're not certain with worship I'm going to start, this is weird, it's not how we do it, blah, blah, blah. And I, this is what the Lord is telling me. And I was, I was anxious about it. I told you guys I was anxious about it. And then I said, where is God's love not perfect in me that anxiety is allowed to sneak in? Where am I not being perfect? Oh, because I'm concerned about the people's what? Opinion. I'm concerned with how they might receive it. I'm concerned with whether or not it will resonate. And I had to reconcile with this. Not, oh, well, God said to do this and therefore it will. No, I had to reconcile by saying, so what if it does? My obedience means everything. My obedience means more to me than the perception in the room. My obedience, the influence of the kingdom, is the greatest influence on me and I no longer fear the perception of man. When we fear the opinion of, the perception, when we get influenced by the emotion, by the opinion, when your emotion affects my day, you have become my idol. You have become my object of worship. When a thing affects my emotion, how clean my kitchen is can affect my mood just like this. I left last night, my kitchen was clean. Was it not clean, Mom? It was clean. We got home last night, and there was... Crunchy, dry, uh, y'all. Uh, I'm gonna tell you what, cereal is my nemesis. I hate it because the kids dump the cereal and they just leave the fruity pebbles and the, and then they get stuck on, dried on. And you... So last night I get home and I'm like, I will not, I will not let the enemy, I, you, you, tutti, fruity, fruity pebble, corn, like whatever you are, I will not be influenced by, I'm literally saying this to myself as I'm butter knifing. Because I'm like, what is the matter with the people living in this house? <laughs> okay? That's not living under the influence of the kingdom. I, I mean, I'm just keeping it real. I'm, I'm, I'm real. I had to process through that. So the alternate step to that is, is this morning, hey, I noticed I've cleaned the kitchen this morning, and I noticed last night when I got home, the kitchen was not clean. So if we could partner together better today, to ensure that when I get home today, the kitchen is clean. It may sound ridiculous, it may sound frivolous, but it's important to me. Just healthy, free, honest communication. Absolutely, I'll have the kids clean it. I don't care who cleans it. Just have it clean. I don't want to do tutti fruity fruity pebbles, cornflakes off my sink. This, this is healthy communication. But the influence of those things... It's possible that those fruity pebbles could have been my God in a moment because those fruity pebbles steal the joy of what had happened just 30 minutes before. Come on, it sounds ridiculous, but we do it. And so we have to be careful of the things that we allow to influence us and overtake us in moments. Instead of saying, I want to live in the overtaking, overwhelming presence of the Lord and I will not be swayed by the things around me. All right, so when we're putting a person above uh, God and his standards, when you willfully work your life, schedule thoughts, plans around another person, when you allow your emotions or thoughts to be controlled by another person's, when you live to please another person, when you love someone or you work to gain the love of somebody more than you work to gain the love of God. Remember Leah, when she says, surely now, she she has a baby and she says, surely. Leah was the unloved wife, by the way. Uh, and Rachel was the one that was sought out, sought, sought, um, uh, loved. And so she has a, a baby, and she says, surely now my husband will love me. No. Surely now my husband will love me. No. surely now, Finally she says, God, I'm, gonna have to, I'm just going to have to praise you and give you glory and give you honor. And that must have been such a healing moment for her to recognize, I don't have to live for my husband's love anymore because I can get the love of the Father such a beautiful, so freeing to say, what is it right now that keeps me spinning in a circle? Where is it that I feel lack of love that keeps me doing this, trying to do all the right things and be all the right persons and do all, do you follow? So ask yourself these questions. How far do I go to please others? Just think about it for a moment. How far do I go to please others? Now, there is Level that God will ask us to sacrifice, but we're not talking about this this weekend, right? We're talking about how do I back up and really know that? How do I know that it's God that has called me to sacrifice and not my fear, and my own need, and my own rejection? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we'll sacrifice in the name of Jesus, but it's not really in the name of Jesus. It's because I'm desperate to be loved. I'm desperate to. I'm desperate to be liked. Come on, we'll do anything to get another like on Facebook. How far will I go to please others? Will I compromise what I think, feel, or desire? Anybody anybody know about somebody in your life that depends on who is in the room, what their opinion is? Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Wait, you just said this yesterday, and now you're saying this. Some people, like, lose their entire identity, and they just become the room. They become whatever's going on in the room. They don't know what they think. They don't know what they like. They don't know what their favorite color is. By golly, they can't even pick a, pick a favorite ice cream. I don't care. Whatever you want. whatever you, I'll eat whatever. Right? And I'm not necessarily saying any of that is wrong. And again, we have to pick and choose. But on bigger scales, if we notice that we're always like that and we never have an opinion, there could be something wrong. It could be that you have lost touch with yourself. You have lost touch with your own identity. You have lost touch with what makes you tick and what ticks you off because fear has stolen your identity. Trying to be loved, trying to be accepted. Do I lose my own sense of what is right or wrong when it comes to being loved or loving others? How far are you willing to go to love others? In the name of Jesus. Galatians 1.10 says, for, I do, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. You've got to pick one or the other. You're either going to be a servant of man or you're going to be a servant of God. All right, let's move on. Now, there's all different kinds of abusive relationships. Again, get the book. There's from emotional, mental, manipulative, gaslighting. I go into great detail of gaslighting. In fact, I'm going to read these just in the room so you can hear Here are gaslighting victim signs. You're constantly second-guessing yourself. You start to question if you're just too sensitive. You often feel confused and have a hard time making simple decisions. You find yourself constantly apologizing. You can't understand why you're so unhappy. You often make excuses for the person you're in a relationship with. You feel like you can't do anything right. You often feel like you aren't good enough. You have a sense that at one point you used to be more confident, that you used to be more relaxed and you used to be a happier person. And now you're just not. You withhold information from friends and family so you don't have to explain things. I'm just gonna throw those out there. And if you feel like you resonated with any of those, I'm gonna encourage you to seek out a counselor today. Just have a conversation. Have courage to have a conversation. Hey, some of those traits, I feel like it described me with my husband, me with my mom, me with my whatever, me with my boss. And I need some counsel on how to move forward with that. Lots of counselors: Brian, myself, Melinda, Shirley, lots of counselors. Kyler's in the room somewhere. Lots of counselors in the room. There's also a such thing as spiritual abuse using the Bible or any religious belief to gain control over somebody. Remember when I talked about the number one attribute of a a healthy relationship is freedom. And we've all been in scenarios where we feel a sense of control, that I feel like I'm being controlled. I'm being told what to believe. I'm being told how to worship. I'm being told how not to worship. Come on, I'm going to stick it to the church right now because I feel free in the room. But we are so manipulated. So That's why I felt like it was important this morning to come back with the word of God in regard to speaking in tongues. Because I know that I know that I know that there were people in the room going like, she ain't got no interpretation. And I'm like, read your word. Stop believing what the church tells you. Stop letting the church control you. Stop letting the church tell you what to believe. Read the word. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, I wish that you would all Speak in tongues, because he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to God. When he's praying in a tongue, when he's worshiping, when he's worshiping in English, he's not singing to you. So why is it different when he sings in a tongue? He ain't talking to you. He's talking to God. Read your word. It talks about it in the word of God. Come on, I get fired up over this because I lived in that. I lived under the cessationist doctrine for years. And I lived depressed, anxious, rejected, lonely, depressed, trying to be all the things that the church told me I was supposed to be, never believing in the power of the Holy Spirit because it's too weird and it's done and it's ended. Read your word. Stop letting the church, stop letting your pastor, stop letting me tell you what to think. Do not let my teachings control you. Everything I'm saying, you need to get the book. You need to check it with the word. If it doesn't line up with the word, then throw it to the ground. I don't care if it's my words. Because if it doesn't line up with God's word, then leave it. But we got to stop. you. Whatever you say, pastor, read your word. So we allow ourselves to be manipulated because we don't want to do the time to do the thing. We don't actually put in the work. My mom and I were talking about this on the way in here. I was like, if I had a quarter for every person who wants to start a business, but they never do it. If I had a quarter for every person who wants to write a book, but they never do it. If I had a quarter for every person that called me and said, I really feel like I'm supposed to sit on your feet and I'm supposed to learn it. But when it comes to actually working, they don't show up. When it's shiny, when it's glittery, when it's exciting. But when it comes to working it out, when it comes to checking the thing, when it comes to training yourself towards righteousness, working out your, right, your salvation, where do we go? It's too hard. It's too hard. When it comes to investing in yourself, fastest way I can get rid of somebody who's not serious is I'm like, here's my po- coaching package. If you're serious about growing spiritually, you'll invest in you. You're not paying me, you're investing in you. But I don't want to put money on what God is doing in my life. Not recognizing the spiritual move that that activates, right? I know that God has said this, and I'm willing to put money on it. (laughs) All right. I digress from all of that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you.